Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. That's page 483 of your Pew Bible, if that's the Bible you're using. Pastor Jason has been in the English Standard Version for the Summer of Psalms. I'm going to be using the CSB today. Like Jason, I do like the way the ESV reads in the Psalms. The poetry seems much more elegant in the Psalms. But uh, when I preach from the Bible, I've got to be able to see it. And a dear brother of mine bought me a CSB giant print Bible so that I could see it. Because if I wear my reading glasses, then I can't see you. <laughs> and I think that's just, important, just as important that I see you, who I'm preaching to, as seeing the word when I read from it. And I'm thankful for my brother who bought me this Bible. So if you could stand for the reading of Psalm 23. says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Sure, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Let's bow our heads in prayer. O Holy Spirit, come and fill us today. Open our hearts and open our ears to hear what your word has to say, to have understanding of what it means and what you are saying to us through it. Touch our hearts. Touch our minds. Give us strength. Renew our lives. Restore our souls this day as we worship you and exalt the name of Jesus. In his name, amen. So last week, last week we considered Psalm 22. Pastor Jason preached on Psalm 22. And, you know, we learned about the good shepherd in John verse 10, verse 11. The Lord Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And now we're coming to Psalm 23, probably the most familiar of all the passages in the Bible. Probably the most familiar, and the second of what, what are called commonly the Shepherd Psalms. It's really a beautiful piece of poetry that has brought peace and comfort to God's people for more than 2,000 years. It reveals the shepherd's heart of two kings, David, who wrote it, and our great shepherd, King Jesus, who inspired it. In Psalm 23, we get the shepherd, the great shepherd, and we're told the great shepherd of the sheep is Jesus. We know this from Hebrews 13, verse 20, which I'm sure many of you have heard over the years, a great benediction from Hebrews 13. 
It says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now next week, church, we're going to be considering Psalm 24, and that's the third shepherd psalm. In Psalm 24, Jesus Christ is the great as the chief shepherd. The apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 5 chapter 5 verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I like what uh, that old radio teacher J Vernon McGee said about this, so I'm just going to quote him. He said, "In Psalm 22, we see the cross. In Psalm 23, the crook, a separate shepherd's crook. In Psalm 24, the crown, the king's crown. Psalm 22, he's savior. Psalm 23, he's the satisfier. Psalm 24, he's the sovereign. Psalm 22 is the foundation. Psalm 23, he's the manifestation. Psalm 24, he's the expectation. Psalm 22, he's died. Psalm 23, he's alive. Psalm 24, he's coming back. Psalm 22 speaks of the past. Psalm 23 of the present. Psalm 24 of the future. In Psalm 22, he gives his life for the sheep. Psalm 23, he gives his love to the sheep. And in Psalm 24, he gives us life when he shall appear. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Amen. King David, who wrote this, you know, for him, this had both real life and spiritual meaning. We know the circumstances of David's life. We know that he went through. We don't know when this was written in his life, but I think when you read it and you carefully consider it, it reflects on a lifetime dealing with difficulty. It shows that he is the aged shepherd king who's been through a lot in his life. We know that God, how he depended on God for his needs and how God provided. I think that makes it kind of obvious. So when I was trying to get to the meaning of what Psalm 23 is about, and that sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? Because we all know Psalm 23, but you still got to look at what it means. Because it doesn't always mean what you think it means. Psalm 23 is an affirmation and recounting by David of God's providence, God's protection, and God's promise. He shows us, it shows us that God cares for his sheep because they belong to him. He's not a hired hand who runs at the first sign of danger. No, he cares and feeds and waters and protects what belongs to him. He is the great shepherd and the great satisfier. Truly he is. But who does he satisfy and who is he the shepherd to? Is it to everybody or is it to his people, those who trust in Jesus as Savior and call him Lord? Honestly, I think it's the latter. I think it's to his people. He's the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Listen, is Jesus your shepherd? Is this Jesus your shepherd? Is he the satisfier of your soul? If not, you need to go back and read Psalm 22 again. Listen to Pastor Jason's message from last week and ask God to help you understand that psalm before you come on to this psalm. If you call on him with a humble spirit, he will answer you and he will give you understanding of who he is and what he did for you on the cross. You see, God likes to give, doesn't he? He likes to give 
and give and give and give some more. He doesn't stop giving. He doesn't stop giving, especially to his son, Jesus. That's why Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. He gave his son on the cross to take away your sins, to take away my sins. Christian, you're dead to sin because he gave. He gave Jesus life again so that he could be the first fruits to guarantee new life for us. You're alive to God because he gives grace upon grace to those who draw near to him with a humble heart. He likes to give so much, our cup overflows. Our cup overflows. The key takeaway here is that God doesn't leave you wanting, and you can have confidence in that, church. He doesn't leave you wanting. In fact, he doesn't leave you at all, ever. Take that to the bank. Let's consider the reasons for that confidence we have. Our great shepherd provides for us what we need. Verses 1 through 3, let's read them again. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. David uses imagery here that gives us a picture of calmness. The symbolism deals with the different aspects and necessities of life, such as food and rest, even boundaries and structure in our lives. God knows what our needs are. So first, he gives us food. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. Now, this is a picture of a calm meadow full of lush green grass, perfect for sheep to feed in. The sheep are calmly satisfied and fed to their fullness. God provides and feeds. He cares for his sheep. There is no want of food here. But in fact, when you think about it, when you look at this, you've got to know a little bit of something about sheep. They're so well fed, they're not even eating anymore. They're not even eating anymore. They're full and resting. Donald Gray Barnhouse wrote this. He said, a shepherd who had spent many years with flocks on the hills of Scotland asked me if I had ever seen a sheep eat while lying down. When I confessed that I had not, he told me that no one had, no one had ever seen a sheep eat in that position. If a sheep is lying down, he continued, there may be a lovely tuft of grass within an inch of her nose, but she will not eat it. She will scramble to her feet, lean over, and eat the grass that was in easier reach before that. Thus, when the Lord, our shepherd, makes us lie down in green pastures, that means we have had so much we can't take anymore. But we need to think about this, folks. We think, need to think about what it means to be fed spiritually. And to be fed spiritually by God, one has to first recognize their spiritual need. There needs to be an awareness of the need of righteousness, not our own, an alien righteousness, and repentance of sin, and understanding and wisdom only the Holy Spirit can provide. And once that happens, church, people will be fed spiritually with the Word, the Scriptures. God's Word feeds our soul, and we learn about our Savior, Jesus Christ. Turn your Bibles quite a long ways to the right to John chapter 6. Have you turned in your Bibles to John chapter 6, page 947 of your pew Bible? Make you turn your Bibles, keep you awake. 
John 6, verse 48. John 6, verse 48. I am the bread of life. This is Jesus speaking now. So listen. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The food we truly need, church, is Jesus Christ our Lord. Bread may fill your belly for a moment, an hour, a day, but eventually you'll be hungry again and eventually you'll die. Not so the Lord Jesus. He can satisfy every hunger at the cross. And as we sit at the feet of Jesus, humbly listening and learning, we begin to live an abundant life. We begin to live an abundant life. Jesus teaches us, doesn't he? Turn over to John 4. Go to the left about one page in the Pew Bible, page 944. I want to read this passage to you, verse 31 through 34. It says, In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, Could someone have brought him something to eat? Jesus answered, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Friends, we have to ask ourselves when we read that, because we know Jesus Christ is our model for life. We walk with Jesus. We live with Jesus. He's our model for how we are to live. Friends, are you finding your fullness and satisfaction in just doing the will of God faithfully? Are you just being faithful to do God's will in obedience like Jesus? Or do you find your soul's belly grumbling and wanting for other things in this world? Come to Jesus today and be filled, folks. Our great shepherd knows what we need, so he feeds us and he gives us rest. He gives us rest, quiet waters for rest and refreshment. First, this place is restful. You know God knows we need rest. That's why he gave the Sabbath, right? In the Old Testament, He knows people need rest because man is a rebel. You heard Pastor Allen earlier praying about this in his prayer. I'm so appreciative of that. Man is a rebel before a holy God ever since Adam. And ever since then, we've been laboring and laboring to justify ourselves before God or to prove ourselves to ourselves or to somebody else. Prove how good we are. Prove we're good enough to get to heaven on our own. We've been laboring away fruitlessly under the crushing weight of our own sin, seeking hopelessly to declare ourselves righteous. But the Bible says all of our goodness is but filthy rags and our sins will be our ruin. See, the natural man without Christ is like a person carrying around that crushing massive weight on his back. And you may be able to bear up for a time, but eventually you wear out. It'll crush you and wear you down. So I ask you, friend, are you burdened by the weight of your sin before God? 
Are you burdened by the weight of your sin? Is it crushing you? Are you laboring in vain to earn your way to heaven by your own goodness? That's a waste of time. That's a waste of time. It'll get you nowhere. It's an exercise in futility. Jesus Christ said, Come to me. Come to me. All you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is light. So believe in Jesus Christ and follow him. And he will give you peace that passes all understanding. The place of quiet waters is peaceful. It's a place of rest and it's peaceful because the Prince of Peace dwells there. And listen, this place is also restorative. Verse 3 says, He restores my soul in the ESV, whereas the CSB says, which I think is probably more accurate from what I read, He renews my life. He renews my life. When you let the great shepherd take you to the quiet waters, you'll be refreshed. You'll be refreshed. It's a place that renews your life and your strength. Times of refreshing are here, says the Lord. Times of refreshing are here. Brother, brother, are you weary, anxious, or burdened? Sister, are you mentally exhausted or spiritually depressed? Times of refreshing are here. Perhaps some desire has led you away into sin and our enemy is making you question your faith. Are you wondering if you're a true Christian because of some sin you've sunk into? Times of refreshing are here. Times of refreshing are here. The Holy Spirit says so. He gives us food to fill us. He gives us rest beside still waters. Let the Savior guide you back. He gives us guidance. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. God's care is constant and compassionate. He leads me. He leads me. He, needs, he has no need to trick or manipulate you like some trickster God from Norse mythology. You may be familiar with that. Like Loki, the God of tricksters. He's not that God. He's the only God. He's the creator of all things. The God who led the Israelites out of Egypt in the Exodus and provided all of their needs along the way. He leads me and he guides me. But where do we go? Out of Egypt, out of sin, into paths of righteousness. Where the great shepherd leads is always right and true. You can count on that. Where the sheep, but where the sheep try to go is not always so. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. A sheep is one of the most unwise of creatures. It will go anywhere except in the right direction. It will leave a fat pasture to wander into a barren one. It will find many ways, but not the right way. It would wander, wander through ravines into the wolf's jaws, but never by its wariness turn away from the wolf. It could wander near his den, but it would not instinctively turn aside from the place of danger. He knows how to go astray, but he knows not how to come home again. Left to itself, it would not know in what pasture to feed in summer or to retire in the winter. Waylon, Waylon Anderson, you in here? I don't see him. I was going to see if I could get an amen from him. I know they raise sheep. 
want to make sure I'm accurate here. Christ leading the great shepherd is always in the right and proper direction. He leads us by his word, the scriptures. He leads us by his Holy Spirit to do the right thing for the right reason every time. You see, holiness is doing the right thing for the right reason. When you do the right thing for the wrong reason, it's not holy. It's not how God would have you do it. When you do the wrong thing for the right reason, same thing. You're just flipping it around, playing gymnastics. The Holy Spirit will lead you to do the right thing for the right reason. And through his leading, we learn to do, think, say, and live in the right ways. Psalm 119, verse 105 says this, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. But why does God do this? Why does God lead us in the paths of righteousness? It says, for his name's sake. For his name's sake. I like what classical commentator Albert Barnes writes in his commentary. For his name's sake, or that his name may be honored. It is not primarily on their account. It is not solely that they may be saved. It is that he may be honored. And honored how? In their being saved at all. It's a wonder that we're saved at all. It's only by his mercy. He, that his name may be honored in the manner in which they are saved. And in the influence on their whole life under his guidance as making known his own character and perfections through them. Through them. The Lord takes his name and character seriously. That's why one of the Ten Commandments says, Do not take the Lord's name in vain. The Lord won't have you messing around in the mud holes of the dirt road of sin with his name, soiling it. The prophet Jeremiah writes in 14, Jeremiah 14, verse 7 Though our iniquities testify against us, Act, O Lord, for your name's sake, for our backslidings are many, and we have sinned against you. And the Lord answers in Isaiah 43, verse 25, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Albert Barnes continues, the feeling expressed in this very verse is that of confidence in God. Confidence in God and assurance that he would always lead his people in the path in which they should go. Psalm 25, verse 9, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. For his name's sake. That's my emphasis. For his name's sake. Do you understand what God is saying here? Do you understand what David's saying? Do you understand the power and the promise behind this declaration? There's power and promise here. The Almighty God, the creator of everything, meets my needs. He renews my life and leads me into righteous paths. All for the glory of his name. All by the power of his name. Psalm 106, verse 8. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. The Lord wants people to know him, church. The Lord wants people to know him. He wants people to know who he is and what he is like. He wants them to know his character. He wants to be a blessing to his people, his sheep. And to those ends, he's working all things according to his sovereign grace and purpose. All of our righteousness is in him. 
It begins with him. It ends with him. It begins with grace for the sinner and it ends with glory for the saints. Do you understand that? It begins with grace for the sinner. Lord, forgive me. I am a sinner. Publican beat his breast, the tax collector. It ends with glory for the saints. This truth of grace and providence should be life-changing. Has it changed you, church? Has it changed your worldview? Has it changed your prayer life? Has it changed what you do every day? I like Dr. Danny Aiken's thoughts on how we should respond to this. He says, this is how I respond to this. His, his words. Lord, use me for your name's sake. Lord, make me holy for your name's sake. Lord, keep me from evil for your name's sake. Lord, make me like you for your name's sake. He gives us what we need. And the second thing we need is we need protecting. Our great shepherd protects us wherever we are. Verses 4 and 5. Even when I go through the darkest valley, the ESV translates that, the shadow of the valley of death, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I read a story about Matt Chandler once, pastor of the Village Church in Texas. And he tells the story in one of his books. I don't remember which one it was, honestly. I think it was The Mingling of Souls. But it could have been his other book, Take Heart, that I read. So, But I couldn't find the exact quote. But I remember the story distinctly. He relates this story about how a man came into his church as a guest and began attending for a while. And he sought to get to know the young man as any good elder or pastor should do. And it became clear that the young man was not a believer. And so he began to talk to him about the gospel And it became clear that he was not interested in the gospel. He was interested in finding a Christian woman to marry. The man expressed that a Christian woman, according to the Bible, would be faithful and submissive to her husband because that's what it said and that's what he wanted. He wanted nothing to do with the great shepherd. Matt Chandler, God bless him, It's a hard thing when you're an elder to do something like this. He had to confront this young man and made it very clear to him, there will be no sheep hunting in this church. There will be no sheep hunting by the wolves in this church. As an elder, his responsibility is to protect the flock as an under-shepherd who serves underneath the great and chief shepherd. And likewise, our our great shepherd protects us no matter where we're at. He's with us in the darkest times and places. So David has come full circle now. He's in the, he was in the most beautiful, fulfilling places, resting with God, thinking about the good times as he wrote this psalm. And now he's remembering the darkest times of life. Some of us are struck by, are stuck through the darkest times of our lives right now. The loss of a loved one. Diagnosis with terminal or debilitating diseases, or even the erosion of ideological infrastructure or morality that you may have put your hopes in in the culture. 
Many Christians today struggle in all these areas, especially as we move more and more to the margins of a post-Christian culture. We struggle with morality and loss. Can make for dark times, can it? Things seem even more unclear and uncertain. In fact, in today's culture, uncertainty seems to be widespread. Widespread. Even though we live in the greatest time of abundancy the world has known. Material-wise. The enemy prowls like, around like a roaring lion, church. And he says, Such and such may be true, but can you ever know for certain? Can you ever know for certain? I've heard that before from politicians. Can you ever know for certain? The devil and his agents pose that question. They give people that question, the whole idea, to question the whole idea of certainty. I mean, he's done it since the beginning, hasn't he? Did God really say, Eve, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? It's a dangerous game to flirt with uncertainty or to get swept up in our worry over it. Because then we fall prey to fear and we forget God's promises and his commandments. Throughout the Bible, God tells us, it tells us of person after person who faced the darkest times, even in the face of death. And yet David says and can say, I will fear no evil. I will fear no danger. And Paul can say, I have learned to be content in all situations. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So why can they say that and some of us can't? First, we need to remember that God is with us. God is with us. I think we, that fundamental truth, we forget it. God is with us. Let me pose a question to you. When you pray for other Christians, when you pray for other Christians who are going through trials and tribulations in their life, do you ever pray, God, just be with this person? That's a silly prayer, isn't it? That's a silly prayer. God is with them. He's always with his people. I'm guilty of that one. When you really think about it, they're a Christian. God is always with them. He says so in Scripture. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28, verse 16. You'll know the passage if you've been here long enough. Matthew 28, verse 16. Matthew 28, verse 16. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's the how. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. That's the what. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the why. I am with you always to the end of the age. 
Christian, no matter what you're going through, no matter how dark things seem, our great shepherd is there with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. So that we can face those times and we can persevere to the end. God doesn't promise us he will spare us from tribulation. He doesn't promise us that. We'll have tribulation while we're in this life. Tribulation means pressure. It's pressure put on us in our faith, in our life. It just doesn't say that we'll be spared from all tribulation. Instead, the Holy Spirit gives us what, I need, what we need. He gives us the power to persevere because He knows on our own we would surely fall away. He gives us direction in the way we should go. He is strong when we are weak. He uses the church to encourage us. Remember Revelation chapter 1. The Apostle John says, I, John, your brother in tribulation. He points us to Jesus. He helps us to speak words boldly about the gospel. He helps us to pray, especially when we don't have words. And look, church, it's not just that he's with you and protects you, but he's actually leading you into and through these dark times. That's hard to grasp when you're in the dark valley. He's leading you through these places and into these places for his good purposes. His rod of protection is guarding me and his staff of direction is leading me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have what I need. But look, it also says he's with us when we face our enemies. God leads us. He protects us. He feeds us through all the darkest times. He walks with us, leading us through it. And now he even prepares a table, food for us, and serves us in the face of our enemies, in the midst of our enemies who are around us. Enemies may be all around you, but right in the middle of all that, God is sustaining us. And what is it saying? It says to me that when we walk in the path of righteousness with complete faith and dependence on the great shepherd, we can be confident we won't want for anything that we truly need. And what does it say to our enemies? It's a testimony, church. It's a testimony to our enemies, to God's faithfulness to his people. They would harm me, but Jesus helps me. If God is for us, who can be against us? You can share the gospel. You can share the gospel. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? And if God is with us, who can harm us? You anoint my head with oil. The Lord celebrates and honors his people. We are children of the king, honored guests, adopted into his family. My cup overflows. It's not just that we have what we need. We have more than we need. The Lord's cup is always running over. God is so good. He's so good. Amen. Amen. Lastly, last point here. We'll go through this pretty quickly because I'm rambling on. Our great shepherd promises what we will have. Verse 6. Verse 6. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. I think that's a very accurate translation. Only goodness and faithful love will follow me. 
You know, most people, where have most people heard Psalm 23? Funerals, right? Most people have heard them at funerals. Otherwise, most people in this world don't even know it. They know it from funeral. And that's understanding because it is very comforting for the soul. But I think that's sad. I think that's sad because it's really not about death. Psalm 23 is about life. It's about the life of the sheep guided by the shepherd. It's about living in his presence. It's about walking in his light, enjoying his blessing and his promises, despite the dark times and the presence of our enemies. It's about loving God in the good times and the bad. It's about loving God in richness and poverty, in sickness and in health. Wait a second. That sounds like marriage vows. That is marriage vows. Good times and bad, riches and poor, sickness and health. Is it any, any surprise that the scripture describes marriage between a man and a woman as a picture of the church's relationship with her Savior? You see, our great shepherd is also a loving husband to his bride. He takes those vows too because God's love is not transactional. It's not, it doesn't work like this. You do this and I love you. You do that and I won't love you. It doesn't work that way. It's not how marriage works. That's not how God works. God's love is covenantal. When God makes a covenant with you and you receive his son, Jesus Christ, it is forever. Even when we are faithful, God is faithful. Even when we're unfaithful, God is faithful. When we're tempted, God is not tempted. We will always have his gracious love. Because God loves his sheep, he bestows on them goodness and mercy. Verse 6 is the culmination, the result of all the previous five verses. It's the result. Go back to what Albert Barnes writes real quick. The effect of God's merciful dealings with him has been, had been, led, been to lead his mind to the assurance that God would always be his shepherd and friend and he would never leave him to want. Do you get that? Because the great shepherd is leading you and protecting you and loving you, goodness and mercy, only goodness and mercy shall follow you. Or maybe we should say it will chase you all the days of your life. No matter how dark it gets, God is still good. Great book Pastor Jason showed us a while back about the moon is still round. Take a note of that. Check that book out. God is still good. God is still merciful. God still loves you. But folks, you've got to respond to that. You've got to respond to his calling. Maybe he's calling you to himself today. He calls people everywhere to repent of their sin and turn to Christ and be saved. If you don't know you're saved, you're probably not. If you don't know you're saved, you're probably not. If you don't know the gospel, you're not saved. Because you've got to know what, what you believe and what you're putting your trust in, where the power is. 
He calls everywhere to repent and believe the gospel that his son Jesus came and died for them on the cross and he was dead, buried, and rose again to give his sheep, his flock, eternal life. And he did that for you and you and you and all who would turn to the Lord and call on his name. He will give you eternal life. In just a few minutes, we're going to have a time of response where we'll be singing. If you want to receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you come up forward. I'll pray with you. Let's get it done. Let's get your soul right with the Lord. Make yourself right. The Lord reconcile him. He'll be your shepherd. You can say with me, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have what I need. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You come forward. In Psalm 22, the good shepherd gave his life for you on the cross. In 23, verse 6, we see what it's like to have new life in Christ. We will someday enjoy his glorious presence forever. Last part of this verse does not, in my opinion, directly reference eternal life in heaven. A lot of people see it that way. I see it as it's a preview of that in this life. In heaven, we will be content in all things and continuously be about holy occupations, occupying our time with holy things, worshiping God in song and word and serving him while enjoying his good presence forever. And that's what David, I think, has in mind here in his current life. He wishes his life was full of holy occupations and holy desires all the time, all the days of his life. He wishes he could dwell near the tabernacle. Wishes he could dwell near the tabernacle. And that's the desire of a true child of God, is to live as if always engaged in worship and occupied in holy things. Listen, folks, throughout the week, do you wish you could be here every day? I wish I could be doing this every day. I really do. Not just, not, I don't mean preaching. I mean in here singing praises to God with God's people. Worshiping and praying together. The true child of God desires peace and joy in life as if he were constantly in God's home, enjoying his friendship. Brothers and sisters, is that your desire today? I praise God if it is. I praise him, and I know that it is for many of you. I know that it is for many of you, but if it's not, you need to ask yourself, why not? Why not? If that's you today, and you're asking yourself, why not? You need to respond as well. You need to respond as well. You come on up here, and we'll get down on your knees. I'll get down on my knees with you. Brother, if you need to come up and pray to God and return to Him. Sister, if you need to pray to God and return to Him, you come up here and you get on your knees with me. We'll pray about that. I'll be right there beside you. He'll lead us through those dark places to His house beside the still waters. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. You just come. And we'll do it together because you know who else will be there with us? Jesus. And his spirit will be with us there as well. It's time to respond. It's time to call on the great shepherd. 
either to receive him and be saved or to turn back to him from backsliding and let him lead you again. Even if it's just the slightest thing that's bothering you, don't hesitate to come up and pray before God. You can do it where you're sitting too. But isn't it good to pray with your fellow Christians? Amen. Amen to that. Either way, however God is leading you, today is the day. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we come to you today, Lord, and we pray. We pray. We cry out. We cry out the words of the prophet Jeremiah. Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, act, O Lord, for your name's sake. For our backslidings are many, and we have sinned against you. And we know that you will answer, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins anymore. So Lord, we know when we come to the cross, there is great mercy and great love to those who trust in it. And Lord, when we think about the resurrection, we know there is great life and renewal And so, Lord, renew our souls today. Restore our souls. Renew our life and our strength. Turn us back to you so that the things of this world will grow strangely dim and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, chased by your goodness and your mercy. Lord, help us to respond today. In Jesus' name. Amen.